Hello and welcome, and thank you for joining. I'm your host, Seth Haskin. I started this podcast to dive deeper into the ways we know one another and God. The goal is to ask the question of how God loves. As we dive deeper into personifying God, we have to bring him into our three-dimensional world, but also understand that he lives in another state of being, the fourth dimension. I'd love to welcome and thank our guest today. He has joined us already on this podcast, Professor Sam Mulberry. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It is, uh, it's, it's good to be here. And what's funny is when we recorded the first time, there were no episodes out yet. It was back in December. So yeah. like, I didn't know what the show was. Um, and at this point of this recording, I think there's 10 episodes out. I've listened mm-hmm. to all of them. They're great. So I, I don't know if we if if it's okay if we start the show, would you uh, be willing to accept a compliment? Yes, I okay. will accept a compliment. Right. I will allow it. I will allow it. I will All right. allow it. Um, I want to pay you two compliments, which may not sound like much, but they're they're things that I that are really important to me. And I, I mm-hmm. say this to people. I, I, I work in the podcast world myself. Um, the first thing that I want to say is uh, real jealousy. This is a great show. It's it's like <laughs> it's uh I love when I listen to something new, especially if I know the person who made it. And my first feeling is like, man, I wish I was doing that. I wish that was my show. I really like it. So real jealousy, love it. The other thing sounds like less of a compliment. I think I maybe even told you this off air before, but I am so proud of you because you made a thing. And I spend a lot of time talking with people about uh, the possibilities of podcasting. I do workshops. I do all this stuff. And there's so many people who conceive of an idea and they're like, oh, it'd be great if we did this. And they, they, they love to have that conversation. But I got to tell you, almost nobody ever makes the thing. And there are, you know, like I said, as of recording this, there are 10 episodes out. Like even if the world ended right now, like you made something mm-hmm. and it's good and it's interesting. And uh, I am so drawn to those conversations. Uh, so I, I like, I truly, truly, uh, I truly, truly love the show. So well, that's my compliment. I have a gift for you as oh, well. Oh, so, thank um, you. So this, this is also a way for me to shamelessly plug uh, my own podcast. So I actually did research and I uh, listened to a couple of your podcasts. So that's terrifying to think about. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to, I had to. I'm like, I know he does his own podcasts. Um, I remember when CWC went online. I was there for that. Oh, whole, that's right. The that spring was, that, that it sure. happened, but I enjoyed every bit of it still because you guys kept it engaging the entire time. So, um, yeah. So I've listened to your podcast. I know some of the work that you do for uh, technology and teaching. So mm-hmm. it's great. I love it all too. So well. I'm just going to throw the plug in there. Channel 3900 is our podcast network. Um, so yeah, lots of good weird stuff on there. Um, a lot of interesting intellectual people sometimes talking about things that are less intellectual. So, and sometimes talking about things that are really heightened. So we, you get a little bit of everything. Wait a minute. It just clicked to me that 3,900 is the address here. Exactly. Oh my gosh. That makes so much more sense for the, the grill, the yeah. restaurant here. Yeah, it's yeah. the 3,900 it's our, grill. It's our address. Yeah. I had no idea. Oh my goodness. That just clicked. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it makes way more sense. I thought it was just this random number people have been using. <laughs> Anyway, you know why? It's because people don't use the mail anymore. When I was a student that's here, true. like the mailing address to Bethel was very important because, like, that's how you communicated with people more. But mm-hmm. yeah, when's the last time you had to give somebody the mailing address for Bethel? Um, I had to give Amazon the mailing address before, but, but then it once. memorizes it. Yeah, right. so it memorizes it. Um, so anything that's been on your mind since the last time we had a podcast or this week? Uh, you know, mostly I've been oddly thinking about movie westerns. We don't need to have a conversation about that, but that's some another project that I'm working on. So while I was preparing for this, there's a part of my head that was saying, you know, you really should be thinking about the movie Rio Bravo because I have to do a project with that tomorrow. <laughs> so that's what I'll be doing after this is working on that. Well, you know, there's always work to be done. That's right. <laughs> so um, I think we're just going to dive right into it. Absolutely. Um, on our previous episode together, we talked about context. We talked about context collapse, and that led to something that you mentioned, um, which was the idea of the the myth of the authentic self. Could you explain that a little bit more, what you mean by that? Yeah, I actually went back and re-listened to the episode because I'm like, (laughs) huh, I wonder what I was saying. Like, I remembered what we talked about, but uh, so I just listened to this. and, And the idea that I was saying is that 
the the myth being that there is a of all the faces we have of all the like walls and, and parts of us that that there is one of them that is authentically us mm-hmm. or you know in terms of how we talk about it in CWC that that authentic self is this thing that we're supposed to be and it's somehow different from the 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 self that we are um, so, you know, I was saying at best that authentic self, if it exists, is the combination of all of our all of the sort of aspects of ourselves. But but even that is probably missing the point because there are probably aspects of us that we don't fully see or understand ourselves. So I think there is this this um, drive to to need to be authentic. And I mean, even that word, I feel like is whenever I hear the word authentic, I get worried like, well, it's sort of implying that everything else is fake mm-hmm. and everything, nothing that, that there is this one thing that's real. So it would imply if there's an authentic self, it means that there's all these other fake selves of you, you know, and, and, and that, um, and that those things are somehow wrong. And especially if the authentic self is something you don't see yourself being, mm-hmm. but something that you're merely aspiring to. Um, I feel like that can be damaging to, <laughs> to you as you live, you know? And I think, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the self is a is a complex thing in that way. Yeah, so many different ways we interact with others. Which one's the true authentic self? I think you made a good point in the podcast before this one is that that's all of us. You know, um, the quote you basically use is that uh, we interact with each other and God through these faces, not in spite of them. Mm-hmm. So they're all us in a sense, you know, just different parts of us at different times, at different needs. So... Yeah, I also think another thing that I thought of when I was thinking about this was, uh, and this is some, an issue I sometimes have with a word that we use at Bethel, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to, whenever I get a chance to talk to students, I'm trying to refocus this word, and that's the word calling. So, Seth, when you hear the word calling, what do you think about? Well, my first knee-jerk reaction being, you know, Christian is like the Lord's calling for mm-hmm. everybody, you mm-hmm. know, to love others and love him. You know, that's the first knee-jerk reaction, but... Um, calling could also mean um, to me, like, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? So I think those are the first two knee-jerk reactions. Yeah, and and, and I, I like both of those answers. And at Bethel, especially because we're a university, uh, the latter one is one that I think we hear a lot. Like, we have an office of career development and calling. Mm-hmm. And there's this sense that it is both, like, uh, career-oriented but also, like, vocational. So your calling may not be something that is a career. You may be called to be any number of things, right? But even in the way you talked about it, you talked about it as if it's this, like your calling is this thing that's out there in the future, mm-hmm. right? And this this ties into that authentic self thing. It's like that there is this great distance between, between my authentic self and the one that I am. Calling is the same way. Whenever I talk with students, I want to remind them like, yes, you may have a calling in the future, this thing you're becoming, but don't ever forget that you have a calling now. You're living a calling now because I I, I feel like in, in both these cases, whether we're talking about the authentic self or calling, there is this sense, there's danger of like I'm postponing real meaning until I get to that other mm. thing. And all of this stuff is just the path to get there. And that stuff's not important. What's important is when I get there. So the problem is what if we never get to that calling because maybe it's just our aspiration and not really our calling. Or we do get there and it's not what we expected. Right, right, right. And 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 we miss the fact that this whole time we are called to something. So, you know, I try to remind students, I get to talk to students, you know, during welcome week, things like this. Whenever I do, I always remind them that like your calling is, you know, the the job that you have out there, but your calling is also today you're called to be a student. You know, what would it look like if you treated your day-to-day work as a student, or I treated my day-to-day work as a teacher, as an academic counselor, as a parent, as all of the things that I'm called to be, if I treated them every day as a divine calling, like how different would I approach what I'm doing? Because I think, I mean, I work with students all the time where they're like, yes, I want to be this. And unfortunately I have to take this class. And I'm like, that class is a divine calling too. It's Mm -hmm. part of this. You know, it's, it is your call. Calling is the thing God puts in front of you you know, in the moment. And, but I think sometimes we're, we're looking so far ahead that we're missing the things that are mm. put in front of us. And so I, to me, when I was thinking about the authentic self, I was thinking about calling as well. And I think those are two things where we create a distance maybe that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. De- um, the, the, 
the thing that came to mind when we were talking about this idea of future, future me, you know, um, aspiring to be the future me, um, I think there is some danger in not taking glances at what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times in Western culture, um, there's this idea that once you get to this point in life, once you achieve the American dream, once you get married, once you do this, everything is going to be smooth sailing. And I feel that is a dangerous narrative to have. Um, midlife crisis has happened because mm -hmm. of that. You know, you get somewhere and you're like, I thought this was going to be it. Mm -hmm. I thought once I get here, that's what it's going to be. And it makes me think of, um, you know, the musical Into the Woods. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the act one is all about the fairy tales and how they come true. And then like you could end it there, you know, like most fairy tales do. But I, one thing I love about act two of Into the Woods is like, what happens now? It's not everything they expected it to be. It's not this happily ever after that we get to live in for the rest of our lives. There is, what do we do after that? And the movie Soul. Have you mm -hmm. seen the movie Soul? I have, yes. I love that. They brought up that topic too. He was like, a spy. he wants to get this position playing jazz piano in this place with these people. He's like, this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I think once I get here, boom, I'm going to be there. And then at the, no spoiler alerts, but there was a spoiler alert. <clears throat> Once he gets there and it ends and he's like, oh, yes. What now? Right. And she's like, well, we come back here and do it tomorrow. And it, I think it's, that was such a deep moment for me in that movie because it, it is attacking this narrative that has been in the Western culture of achieving something. And once you get there, you're set for life. What do you think about that? Absolutely. No, you know, and, and I think what that points to is oftentimes those aspirations are things that are we're, we're pushing towards because we think they're going to be fulfilling. And then very often they're not fulfilling. It's why when I think about um, the things that matter to me most, um, they tend to be things that things that are things that I think of as kind of lifetime commitments, things that it's like, I'm never, I'm never going to reach this because the way I have tried to frame this aspiration is that it is a lifetime commitment. So it means I'll never get to the end. Cause I know <laughs> if I get, cause I will tell you, I have set goals in my life and I have achieved some of those goals and none of them were particularly fulfilling. It doesn't mean I've never felt fulfilled in moments, but what's, but it's, it's very rarely those, those types of things, you know, like I, when I, when I finally graduate from college or when I finally finish graduate school or when I finally get, I mean, at 24, I had my dream job. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, well, what now? Right. Right. And, 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 but, but what I, what I tried to do was tried to think about that as like, how do I, how do I make it so I don't feel like, oh, now I have the thing I always wanted and it's unfulfilling. So instead I try to think about that as a, as a longer term thing, as a, as a, thing I, I, you know, I can turn into kind of a lifetime commitment because I actually, I find in that, that, um, the thing you were saying about soul though, well, you know, well, what do we do now? Will we come back and do it again tomorrow? It's like, if you can turn that into the, that's the calling, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's actually the thing is like, we get to do this again. We get to do this again, you know? And, um, I find that really, really, really powerful. And, and, and that's where I begin to find the edges of fulfillment. Yeah. It's there, there's so much to be said about that topic of what's next. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think there, when it comes to business, you know, I think that's the big question. What's next? What's next? What's next? They're always looking to grow. How can we apply that topic to our life? Like once we reach this goal, now what, now what are we going to do? And I think the, pro I think one of the biggest problems with this narrative being pushed is sadly the education system. They ask you what you want to be when you grow up, and that's what you should be striving for for a large part of your development and life um, is this idea. And so I was making a career plan today for a class, and it's like, what are your short-term and long-term goals? And I was like, okay, well, I want to do this during the summer, short-term goal, and I'm going to graduate in December 2022, the goal, right? After that, I'm just going to throw a whole bunch of lines out there. I'm going to see what bites and I'm going to take the best tasting fish in my opinion. And then I'm going to run with it. And then I, I was thinking more about it and I was like, wait a minute. I've been thinking about this topic. I'm like, what am I going to do that makes me, you know, happy, you mm -hmm. know, like this idea of happiness and life fulfillment. And I'm like, 
it's not what I choose to do, like specifically if I want to be a medical doctor or an actor or, you know, help run a business, you know, it's not those things that are going to make me happy. What's going to make me happy is these lifelong goals, like what you mentioned. So I was like, what's going to make me happy? I want to be able to make enough money to pay off debt, get out of debt. That's going to make me happy. I want to make enough money to provide for a family. That's going to make me happy. I want to be able to um, do certain things. And yeah, a job is needed for money. But these things are, are what I cornerstoned. And my last one is I want to be so blessed um, that I want to give. I want to serve, you know. And I think no matter what I'm doing, I can find those things. Yeah, I mean, I really think when we think about uh, we think about education in terms of that, uh, I get to talk at a lot of admissions events too, and mm-hmm. I always try to reorient the question from like, this is not about what you're becoming, it's about who you're becoming. Mm-hmm. And like in that, you know, uh, I I remember, <laughs> this maybe tells you how weird of a kid I was. I remember being in high school, uh, and I think it was my senior year, and we were doing a similar thing, and it was about like, what do you want? You know, like, what are your, what are the things you want to achieve? And uh, I remember we went around the room and everybody was talking about like, oh, I want to have this kind of car. Or I want, and I completely unironically said, I want quiet and time to think. That's what I said. And, and, and it's like at the time, I remember my friends laughed at me, and it's like, ooh, Mister Philosopher, one time thinks like, actually, I had the right answer. Like that's actually as I've gotten older, it's like that's the thing that I value. And and when I think about um, when I think about calling, it has far more to do with with the person that I want to be and the person that I want to be becoming. And, um, you know, and then I think about calling again in the, the John Calvin way of like, it's what God puts in front of me today. So uh, very often in in my life, the things that are put in front of me are things that are often like, oh, I don't want to do this thing today. But if I can reorient myself and say, actually, that's the thing, that's the gift. That's the thing I've been called to do today. And if I treat that like a divine calling and I recognize that the, the 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 ground I'm standing on is holy ground where I've been giving it given a divine calling. Like I can reorient myself and I can take that thing that I don't want to do and 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 see it as something else. Now that's hard to do, and I, I mean I'm not great at it, but that's that's how I try to think about those things. Yeah. Mm. So there's so much to be said about this topic of the authentic self, about your future calling. Um, and I think it's been talked a lot about in society and culture, specifically, maybe not the calling, that's more of like a um, Christian circle type thing, but the authentic self, mm-hmm. especially in the modern day with social media and so on. We talked about this last time, the Mark Zuckerberg quote mm-hmm. of um, disassembling, you know, all these identities into one. Um, it, it makes me think just how limiting that can be. Um in there are certain specific situations where being your authentic self might be this at this moment. And we've mentioned this before and this at this moment, because that's who you are in those moments. There's not like this authentic me that's inside of me. So my question is, how do you think the idea of the authentic self influences the way we view ourselves? Well, I think if, if we, if we buy into it, I think it, it, it can, it can, make us feel like like we like we're lacking something mm-hmm. right that it's like because the opposite of the authentic self is the inauthentic self and that means fake right mm-hmm. and it's like so am i just fake is this all and 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 you know and i think that 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 leads us in some some pretty dangerous directions um so i think it 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 yeah i mean it, it makes us feel like there is a distance between who i am and who i'm becoming and who i've been the other parts, well, we keep talking about the present and the future, mm-hmm. but there's also this sense of like this reflection on the past. Because if we reflect on who we are now and who we were, we can see the journey that we went on. And that can teach us that the road ahead of us is also a journey of becoming, right? So that leads to a kind of fluidity in who we can become and who we are. And th- that it's not a fixed thing. We're not on, our life is not on rails in that way too. You know, I think... Um, I think focusing on on all on all of those aspects and it's like, well, which one of us is the authentic self? Is it the person that I hope to become? Well, that's part of it. Is it the person that I am right now? That's part of it. Is it the person that I was? That's that's all part of it. Um, you know, and I think I think the authentic self is also us on our 
best, most aspirational days and on our worst days too. I think that's another piece of it is it's like, is, is, is we shouldn't be chopping up our view of ourselves in, because they can either lead us to um, depression to be like, Oh, I, I am only my, my worst things. And I definitely feel like that sometimes, mm-hmm. but then you, we it can also in the other direction be like, well, I'm only the things when I'm at my best. It's like, well, that's not true either, you know? And, and I think at times those things are overlapping in ways. I had a moment this morning. So I will tell you, I, uh, I'm very tired right now, but I was also very tired when I got up this morning. Partially we had a big snowstorm yesterday. So I, like after a full day's work, I went home and shoveled for about two and a half hours. So like I'm physically very tired. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment where I was walking down the hall this morning and I thought, and this is all coming from, from like being tired. I thought for a moment, like I am so sad right now. Like I, this, maybe I'm the saddest person in the world. And then I thought, or maybe I don't understand anybody else. And maybe I'm actually the happiest person in the world. And it's like, and, and, it's, and, and, and so it's like, I think I was both at that moment. And I think I was also really tired, you know, that I think it's, I think that, that we, I, I think we're wrong to limit ourselves and to, um, yeah. And, and, and to think that there is, again, I keep using this word distance, that there is this distance between who we are and this quote unquote authentic self. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you think the authentic self um, influences the way we act with others in relationship with one another? Um, I think we sometimes think the other people are these unified authentic selves mm-hmm. because the thing that we don't have access to is the, the multitude that they contain. Um, I think there are people in my life where I do see that multitude because in, you know, part of it is I've spent enough time with them that I know uh, more about the complexity of their thinking. But, but I mean, most people that we encounter, I mean, even as we're sitting in this room, I can see reflections of people walking by. They are literally background characters in my life. Like, I don't even know who they, like, so, so like, I don't have a full sense of them. But I, but I do think even the, the people you get to know, like, you think of them as, if, if you're buying into you need to be your authentic self, the assumption is these other people are, which means they're only going to disappoint you too, right? That, that, that if, if you think somebody is, is authentic, totally this whole one thing, if you get to know them, you'll see these other aspects and, and all of a sudden they can only go down from there, right? So it's, it is, it is both degrading to yourself and putting other people up on pedestals. It ha- at least has the potential to do that. Yeah. Then it creates collapse, mm-hmm. you know, this context collapse. Um, when we see someone who we don't know, but we know about their life, let's say a celebrity. And then all of a sudden they do something that a normal person would probably be guilty of, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden that pedestal, they fall down and we're like, they should have known better, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, but that, that is them too. They're mm-hmm. not just this celebrity. Right. They have a family. They have this. They have that. And I think it's so interesting to think about how what you said right at the beginning when I asked this question was sometimes we view other people, that's their full authentic self. So um, I had a question because we were talking about the first one and it came to relationships with others. I can't remember what it was. That's okay. We'll keep moving on. So... How do you think um, this view of our authentic self not only influences ourselves and our relationships with others, but also influences the way we interact with God and how we interact with God with ourselves? That's a good question. I mean, I think it might lead us to... um, I don't know. I mean, because I... the way I think about the self is that, and we talked about this last time, that that like God is the being who has access to all, all of, of us, right? So, I mean, maybe there is this this if if you buy into that myth, there maybe is this sense that you can hide something from, like like you get to build or create the face that that God gets to see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like like that's. Uh, I think he blows past that stuff. I think God blows past that stuff. Maybe the better question would be um, how do how do we interact with God if we believe in this myth of the authentic self? Does I think this- we compartmentalize with God when when that's mm-hmm. sort of ridiculous. You know, if we if we think about it, like, um, but it's also very human. It's very human to to you know I, I, to 
think about that we can somehow present ourselves to God because that would imply that God doesn't already have access to all to all mm-hmm. of those pieces. But I think it also the danger we fall into is again if we think that our authentic self is the the darkest worst part of us, it's like well God's not only seeing that either, right? Mm-hmm. Like God God is God is able to see our multitudes, right? And, and it's probably, I mean, it's the only being who can really see us that way. We can't even see us that way. God is the only one who can who can see all of those parts of us. Yeah, exactly. When, when you said that, it got me kind of excited because I'm thinking about the way sometimes that I was kind of taught to pray and the way I kind of pray now, and I'm trying to change it because uh, the previous, uh, a previous episode that I recorded brought light to how they view prayer. And I was like, that's a very interesting way. And they said, it's like a continued conversation with God. It's not something that just happens in this moment and then it's separated from everything else, but it's a continued conversation. So I'm trying to change the way I pray, but... That's interesting because it's it's a, it's a a I mean, um, it's another way to think about um, continuous prayer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a monastic practice. There's the, uh, is it the pilgrim's prayer? The, I can't remember what it is. Know. Like, uh, it's, it's essentially like, constantly repeating almost like a mantra, you know, God, I am a sinner, have mercy on me or something. And it's like, and it's just like, like having that be constantly running, like that is one way to think about continual prayer. This is another way to think about continual prayer, which actually seems uh, more fruitful in a, in a, in a kind of way or, or more um, engaged in a kind of way. Uh, but I think both of them probably get at the same thing. One is to get you out of your head. It maybe depends on the kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. I probably am somebody who needs to get out of my head more when I pray because I'm battling with the fact that I'm trying to present something to a being who already sees everything. Yeah. And when you brought up, um, oh, what was it? Um, when it came to um, trying to present a certain way to God, and it made me think of the way that sometimes Christians present themselves um, together, like sinners, so on and so forth, and how maybe as people, we might think that the authentic self is this sinner and blah, 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 and and so on and so forth. And I think it has come to my attention that a lot of um, songs and so on can kind of get us into the state of our authentic self is the, the darkness, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not just the good stuff, but it's the darkness. And I think sometimes we come from prayer thinking that our authentic self is darkness, so we're always asking for forgiveness. We're always doing this, and sometimes we can lose sight of like, oh, thank you, God, for this, or like, God, I'm just so happy that I was able to do this today because it reminded me of this. And I think that, I think what you're just describing there is is why it is really helpful, I think, to be regularly in contact with people from other uh, Christian traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because because I think there are I think there are elements of say Protestant Christianity that really are really like to focus on human sinfulness and human depravity and this need for God's grace um, you know and and I think there there's different ways that you can spin out of that mm-hmm. um, you know I think about even the words I just said make me think about John Calvin but actually I think of John Calvin as not not as negative as that right like he's he's thinking about Yes, that that is true to the human condition, but so is the power of God's grace, and you know, and and that that is this comforting thing. But I think we all respond to those things differently. But I think it's very helpful to have these kind of conversations with people from Catholic traditions, from Greek Orthodox traditions, from different Protestant traditions, um, because I think we all, uh, uh, even as individuals responding to those things, uh, we have different reads on on on. What, what the human condition is, mm-hmm. I think, you know, or, or how, maybe not even what it is, but how we should respond to what it is. Yeah. Um, what I kind when, when I was thinking about the authentic self before we started this discuss, discussion, um, it, I remember trying to think of a metaphor mm-hmm. and lenses came to mind, you know, like glasses and lenses and so on and so forth. And I was like, maybe the authentic self is a lens in which we look through and think that that's us. But then I was like, wait a minute. Lens doesn't really work as a metaphor. And I was like, a mirror, you know, um, a mirror reflects images, right? Um, and it kind of, the authentic self is this idea that I think society is reflecting. You know, society is in front of the mirror and the image that we see is what we perceive as the authentic self. And um, 
when you look at an image in the mirror, it's reversed mm-hmm. on the y-axis. Um, and I believe that the myth of the authentic self reverses who we find ourselves to be. You know, it looks like us, but it's a little different, you know, and it it just seems weird to think about this one self who is the authentic me. We kind of brought this up last episode when we were talking about social media. And I was like, I remember not liking social media because it didn't feel like me because I wasn't posting everything about me, but I didn't want to post everything about me. And I think there's this myth of bringing your authentic self to work. And then it's just like, boom, take me. This is who I am. You can't say anything, so on and so forth. And this happens everywhere. And I think that is dangerous too, because it can prevent, you know, progress into certain things like the workplace place. I think there is room for a work face, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. What do you think about like this idea of like hiding the authentic self because there is not an authentic self. Yeah, no, I, I think, and I think, I think we, we talked a lot about this on the, on the last episode in terms of um, the value in having these, these different faces. I got really excited when I read this question. Um, and, and this is where I, I might derail and, and no, feel, it's all good. Feel free to, to, so, so because when I read this, this question that you wrote and you were talking about mirrors, um, the first thing that I wrote down without thinking about it too much is yes, but maybe we need to pick better mirrors. Mm. And then I started to think about about mirrors and and things that um, reflect something about ourselves back to us, right? Because that's what a mirror does. Like it, mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a perfect image of ourselves, but there's something that reflects back on ourselves. And it made me think about um, wanting to know when you ha- when you've had really powerful mirrors in that way. Uh, because in, I'll say for me, it is usually art that. And I mean art in a in a very broad sense, mm-hmm. where I feel these kinds of mirrors. So I want to ask you a question. And again, this is the derailing part. So please go ahead. Okay. So this is my favorite question to ask people in college. Um, and I used to do a podcast that I haven't done in a long time called Autobiography, and I'd always ask people. I this did question. see that okay. one when I was researching your stuff. So here's the question I would always ask people, and I'm going to frame this in terms of books. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable with books, you can broaden out. Mm-hmm what it, what these things are. But like, if I were to ask you what three books I could read to learn something about you. Now I'm not asking you what your favorite books are, what you think Mm -hmm. the best books are, but what are the things you've read where you feel this deep resonance where you're like, I cannot believe that I'm reading this thing. And it is, it is reflecting, like, like I saw my reflection in it. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm curious, like, like, and I realize I'm putting you on the spot. No, here. no, no. It's good. I, I've kind of got a couple. Um, so a lot uh, of, and, and, and I, I want to say this too. Um, the goal here, and I, and I don't think you were going to do this, but the goal here is not for us to try to impress each other. Oh no. It, this I, is about like, these are the things. Yeah. So I'm not trying to impress, but, um, I usually read nonfiction. I'm not a big fiction reader. I'm trying to, because fiction is very good at like invigorating imagination, which I'm trying this to This is already more. fascinating because my three books are all fiction. So this is oh, great. Okay. This is great. <laughs> so, um, one of the books that I would say is Frentimacy by Shasta Nelson kind of got me kickstarted on this podcast journey. I was freshman year and I wanted to learn more about relationships because this is the first time I'm away from family. I'm away from the people that I grew up with in my school, like boom. And then, so I read Front of and I'm like, I resonate with everything she's saying in this book. Um, another one of mine is the science of shame and its treatments. I resonated with that book because there is so much that goes unsaid about uh, shame and guilt in society that I think um, it, it just resonated with me. Maybe not not so much about who I am, but it just like resonated with me when I read it. And I think it can describe my thought process about questioning everything. And then the third book, I can't really think of one. Um, it can be another piece of art in some way too. Yeah. So hmm. I think... Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I am drawing a blank. Oh, I cannot think of it. I'll let you go now. I'll give you two of mine and then maybe something will yeah. come to mind. So so again, mine are going to be works of fiction. Some of these are things that I read a long time ago and keep coming back to. And again, Oh, they, I got mine. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Um, 
It's um, A Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Oh, tell me more. That's the only book uh, that's of the books you've named. I've that's the only one I've read. So tell me, tell me so about that. So that is I a science fiction World. book. Um, I remember having to read it for a language class in high school. I read it and I was like, mm, I I don't know how to feel about it. And that was the first three chapters. And then it kept going, and I was like, Wow, this is crazy to me. Like how well this is written, and how like because I I'm nonfiction reader usually and like he the person who wrote it is a scientist so the way he wrote it felt like it could happen you know this dystopian society um i love brave new world because it allows me to not become complacent in any part of my life it always makes me question things and where it's going to lead us um the one of the uh things in the book is called soma it's a drug you take and it helps you like feel numb to everything but it also like doesn't make you feel like super numb where you're just like comatose, right? Unless you take too much of it. Um, but I'm like, what are those things in my life now? What are the things that are making me numb to experiences, whether good or bad? One of them, social media. So I deleted Snapchat um, probably a couple weeks after we recorded our podcast together because that was the only one I had left. Um, and I was like, finding myself going on my phone when I'm bored, like trying to numb the boredom. And I was like, interesting. so I was like, okay, that is one thing in my life that numbed me to bore, like boredom because there are, boredom is the driving factor for many things. So th- that whole book just kind of changed my perspective about um, science, politics, the way I go about my life. It just changed so much because it was such an eye opener for me. Well, and I will say, I think Brave New World is the best. I th- do I believe this? I think so. It is the best dystopia I've ever mm-hmm. read because, I agree. as you said, it makes sense how they got there. And to make a good dystopia, you have to imagine, oh, I could imagine like wanting to live in that world because it's basically like, you know, you're a, a beta or whatever's lower than a beta person. But at least it's like, it just means you kind of, they just give you pleasure, right? Like it's basically sex and drugs and like, and you know, and, and that stuff is, your life's not particularly meaningful, but it's like, but it is sort of this like numbing kind of pleasure. And it's like, I could imagine us getting there as a society where others, you know, I look at it and it's like, I get that this is dystopic, but I can't buy how we got there. And I, when I read Brave New World, I thought, oh my goodness, I could see us getting, I mean, I, I was like, I could imagine in 30 years being there. Like, yeah. like I could imagine or we, some version of there. it. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, that's a great one. And that's that. See, because I've read that book, <laughs> it's like, Oh, I feel like I know something more about Seth now. This is really interesting. Yeah. Something that I loved hiking about that book is like, what, what is happening in society that could lead us to that? Not just what I'm doing, but what society is doing. And I think he, he wrote it so well. I love the way he wrote it because it feels like it could happen, like you said. And one of the things that he wrote that made it feel like it could happen is that everyone who lives there doesn't does not want to leave. Mm-hmm. They want to stay there. Whereas a lot of other dystopian society books, you have these people who are like, "Oh, I don't." They they're they're, they're you know the divergent. You know the divergent mm-hmm. series. They are different. But the way he wrote it is that's their. We read it from here and like, wow, those morals are really messed up. But from their perspective, if you look at it from their character perspective, they're like, that's normal. And to have that all your life, that would just be normal. And I think that is kind of where we're going. You oppress a society so much that you start to let them feel comfort in the simple things that I think it becomes harder and harder to get away from that dystopian society. Love that. That's interesting. So, anyway, your books. <laughs> All right. So, 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 so here would be my three. Um, and 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 these I think actually say a lot about me. Uh, one is uh, James Joyce's A Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man, mm-hmm. which is about uh, it's a you know it's the sort of a, a coming of age story um, about somebody who ha- has aspirations about being an artist, being a writer. Uh, and it is all about how he feels hemmed in by the world he grows up in. And, you know, he makes this, this, the, these, by the end of the book, I'm spoiling a book that's like, you know, 85 years old. 
Um, by the end of the book, like he is leaving Ireland to go to Paris, right? To go into self-imposed exile. And he says that, that, that like Ireland throws and any nation throws the cast these nets over you that the artist needs to fly from in order to find an authentic voice. Right. So he talks about religion and language and nation and how you need to fly from those things in order to have a way to reflect back on. And there's, there's something about the sort of feeling out of place in the world when I read that and um, that, that, that really, I feel like I'm somebody who's never feels at home in the world, whatever world I'm in, um, especially as a younger person. So like that book really touched me. Um, uh, J.D. Salinger's, uh, it's two short stories together, um, Raise High the Roof, Booms Carpenters, and Seymour and Introduction. And it's particularly Seymour and Introduction, which is a, so it's like a novella. Uh, and it's maybe the greatest book about art in the broad sense that I've ever read. It's a, it's a, a, a novel, like I said, a novella. Um, but it's all about this younger brother talking about his older brother who had, who committed suicide mm. um, and trying to like create an accurate picture of his brother, Seymour, um, who he views as this, this great artist, this great uh, poet. Um, and it is, if you're, if you're the type of person who's interested in making art in any way, it, like, I, honestly, I think it's the best book about it. And it ends with, um, with the author talking about, um, how he finds holy ground in life. Uh, and it is, it's, it's maybe my favorite piece of literature ever written. And then the third would be uh, a book called the pale King by David Foster Wallace, which I've is, heard of that. Which, I haven't read it though. It's great. Um, uh, Wallace is an acquired taste. He's, he's not always an easy read, but um, it is a book about tedium and boredom. It's about these IRS accountants and it's about, to me, it's there, there are these, these crescendo moments that are about finding finding meaning in the tedium and boredom of life uh, in kinds of ways. And I, and, and these are just all three of these books push ideas that are so central to central to me. So to get back to our sense of finding better mirrors, like I find in works of art like this um, and, and many, many, many others, uh, like I find these things that reflect some kind of truth back to me, but it's not just truth in the broad sense. It's truth in a very personal sense where it's like, how did they know me enough to write that? Mm. You know, and obviously I don't know James Joyce, David Foster Wallace or J.D. Salinger, but they knew me. They knew me and they reflected something powerful back on me. And that is telling me something about who I am. So I honestly feel like if you read those three books, you would be like, you might not realize it, but you would know something about the depths of my soul, mm-hmm. even though I didn't create them, <laughs> you know? So, so, so I think, you know, I, I, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm looking for those mirrors in life, and when I find them, and they surprise me, you know, you're not always expecting it, and all of a sudden, you know, it hits you, and you, uh, I, I try to honor and respect those those sort of moments. Yeah, I think any type of art, um, whether it be written, drawn, mm-hmm. played out, um, is a reflection of humankind. And because it is that, we find parts of it that reflect us. Sure, because it's the it's the the image of God, the Creator, right in the creation that His creation is creating, right. So yeah, no, I, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I remember um, one of the uh, theater professors here. One of his quotes that he usually says, like an ICA or anything that he teaches, is that um, when you are playing a part in theater, you know, you're bringing something to life. You're bringing the word to life. And he uses that to describe the way the Bible comes to life, you know, and it's just, it's, it's more than just a story. It's who we are, you know, like whatever you're writing, whatever you're drawing, whatever you're listening to observing, like that becomes a part of us. And it reminds me of like who we hang around with is like, the five people we hang around with is like a conglomerate of who we might be. Mm-hmm. Like with the books, the books that we read might be a conglomerate of who we might be, but those are just reflections. That's not the real image, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, I, it's just good point. But those, but those reflections may, um, if we pick the right mirrors mm-hmm. or pick the right people <laughs> to surround us with, right? It might actually, help us become the person that 
I'm stuck between who we want to become and who we're called to become. I'm not sure which I want to say. Mm. And maybe what I want to say is something in between both of those. Um, but I, what I find myself doing is often not surrounding myself with those things, you know, because sometimes those things are uh, more challenging and more difficult, you know. Uh, so so I end up finding the soma in my life. Like what is, and so instead I will numb myself with this rather than, um, you know, doing something that's going to be more elevated. I find this with my kids sometimes. It's like, okay, like like this weekend my wife's going away to a quilting retreat. So it's just me and my my two kids. And it's like, okay, we're going to watch movies this weekend. And when I ask them what they want to watch, sometimes what I'll get is like they'll just say something that they've seen before. And it's like, and it has the, it's it's like something they enjoy, but it has, it's just kind of this numbing. And it's like, you know, like I want to like, I want to, I want to watch something that, that feels, makes me feel something more than, watching this movie for the 13th time that I know I will be entertained by, but like, like wanting and, and, and hoping that they want to find that elevated thing too. But I also know like we don't all find it in the same place. Like the three books I just named to you are three of the most important texts in the world to me. You could read them and be like, yeah, they were good. Like it doesn't mean you're because you're not me. You're not going to get the same mirrors in the same way. Like I loved Brave New World. It would never occur to me to put that on on that list for me. And I think it's a fantastic book, but it's not a mirror in the same kind of way for me, but it is for you. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah. Um, when you said that you may want to watch something that makes you feel something, do you think that it's sometimes hard to find those outlets mm-hmm. of the parts that we usually don't interact with. And I think that's where art comes into play. Do you think that's something that happens all the Absolutely. time? Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and my big fear in life, uh, as I get older, um, as I continue to creep, I'm, I'm almost 45. I'll be 45 this May. Like, Oh, is, you're so young. No, no, but it's the definition of middle age, right? Like, like, <laughs> like you can't be more middle aged than 45, I yeah. think, um, is like my big fear in life is that I will stop being affected by things. Mm. You know, because I think when I was like, I think about being young and, and reading things and experiencing art and being deeply moved and affected. And I, I don't think that I'm not that anymore, but I have this fear that like at some point I will calcify and stop being affected by things. That could be art. That could be people. That could be experiences like that is that's my biggest fear in life is like that I will reach this point where I'm incapable of that, that that feeling or that experience. And maybe that is, you know. This is why Huxley's so great. Maybe that is like so much of whatever my soma is that like I'm then I reach this point where I'm unable to access the part of me that can be moved by those things. Yeah. Do you think that fear was amplified when COVID hit? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I'm actually somebody who who thrived in a COVID world because like because it gave me more time to uh to read it. Like I actually I ended up opening up um more avenues to have conversations. So like I started a, I started multiple new podcasts when COVID started, but one of them is this film project that I'm on. That's why the Westerns thing, right? So I started doing this film project with Barrett Fisher um, kind of just to be like, well, this will get us through the end of the spring semester. And I thought, you know, we'll watch like eight or nine movies and then we'll hit summer and be done. And I think we're on like our 92nd movie. And like, I have learned so much. I've learned how to appreciate film in a different kind of way like I said, I'm, I, I hate Westerns and this is the fifth Western in a row I've watched. And like, I'm really interested in the ideas and I'm interested in these conversations. So it actually has helped me because it's pushed me to say, I'm not going to accidentally find some of these experiences. So I need to go out and, and create some avenues for that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that is one of my fears too, is becoming numb to things. And I think I experienced some of that during COVID. That's why I asked the question Interesting. to you. So tell me about that. So I, I thrived freshman year. That was 2018 to 2019. I was doing perfectly fine sophomore year. This is going to be 2019 to 2020. COVID hit spring semester. There, there were so many doors opening up for me, I think, in 2020 mm-hmm. that so many got shut and... I think that those momentous things in my life, I say that they don't bother me that much, but they really do. Mm. And I think it had- Like opportunities or- Yes. So one of the opportunities that I had was with a former employer at Bethel. He no longer works here. Um, He had given me the opportunity to work on this big project. 
um, with some big names um, in Hollywood. And um, I was stoked because I was going to be stepping into a world that I really appreciate, which is the acting and film industry. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be a documentary about Magnum P.I. Um, with Tom Selleck. Oh, I know Magnum P.I. So, I'm a child of the 80s. You know, <laughs> so I was supposed to do this. And it was supposed to um, happen. Okay. COVID hit. It never happened. And then some other things happened, you know, just like some other small things. But that was the big thing for me, you know. And I think that kind of calcified or hardened part of my heart into Mm -hmm. feeling intensely about or being excited about something like that again. And I think that's what COVID took away from me in some aspects. And I'm trying to reclaim that. I'm trying to get excited about certain things. But I think I don't know what happened, but when that happened, something in me switched and I have not been able to feel like that. And I had developed that fear that you said, so I'm glad you named it because it is like, I want to be able to feel intensely about certain things again. Do you, uh, and and I think I know the answer to this just because of the things you've mentioned, but like we're talking about sort of experiencing art and what you just talked about there started to move towards also like making art. And Mm -hmm. I mean that in the broad sense. Um, I will say for me, I feel... Oh, I feel my most fulfilled when I'm in the process of making something or right at the moment when it's been completed. And then, and then it, it, it snaps into, to, uh, unfulfillment really quickly when the thing is done. Like I'm somebody who like the, the journey is the reward. The, like once something's done, I, I, for one of my sabbaticals in 2018, I did a documentary film and it was the greatest semester. Uh, cause I, like I do a lot of video production stuff, but I never get to spend time on it. It's always, we got to get this thing out. And I got to spend a full, a full semester. That was the only thing I was doing fine cutting and doing all the stuff with audio production. And like, I loved it. But then the second it was done, I'd like, I, then I hit the unfulfillment part of it. So I, what the thing I've learned about myself is that I am the closest to fulfilled when I'm making. Um, and what I'll, what, does happen to me sometimes is that the 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 ebb and flow of life will put me pull me out of a situation where I feel like I'm making things and I will start to slip into a depression and what I need to do is make something mm-hmm. you know um, so so I'm I'm curious are are do you, do you resonate with that idea yeah um, I love projects and long term projects um, I love completion but not as much as I love doing it. There is satisfaction in completing a project, but I think there is way more fun in doing a project. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say it's cleaning out the garage. It's always hard to start and it's always hard to finish. The middle is the easiest part. You don't know where to start. And once you get close to the end, you want it to be over. You know, this is just an example, but I think that middle spot, you are just in this, state of i don't know how to describe it like i think the middle the journeys that we go on i think are the best parts and it reminds me of um let me just get it out right here i have it it was a chapel um that i went to at bethel and it was about questions and it's like the the word quest is in questions and he the speaker brought up that the quest um is not the answer I mean, the, the answer is not the um, end goal. What's better about asking questions is the quest itself. And I think it's so important that we are always looking for answers in societies or definite ends. And that brings us back to this idea of, well, what now? Mm-hmm. You know, And I think sometimes we miss the beauties that are on the path, the yeah. journey yeah. that we're taking. Well, Rilke says, love the questions themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And and. and and not and you know not focusing on the answers and I, I even think the like um, there's a kind of uh, if we're if we're circling this back to theology and things like this there is this danger in uh, answering the questions you even use the phrase once and for all right mm-hmm. um, one of the the great moments uh, in in uh, Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov uh, uh, there's if, if you ever read that. No. Okay. It's on your list of things to read. It's yes. one of the great books of all time. <laughs> so, so there's this, this one of the most famous scenes in the, um, 
in the book, it's, it's a section called the Grand Inquisitor, and it's these two brothers. Ivan is the older brother. Uh, Alyosha is the younger brother. And uh, Ivan is about to leave. He's going he's gonna to leave and never see his brother again. Um, and Alyosha is this, the, the younger brother is kind of more of the innocent. He's like thinking of becoming a monk and the other, and, and Ivan is uh, this sort of burgeoning atheist, right? And he, um, Ivan sits down and says like, before I leave, we need to answer these questions once and for all. And like, and, and, and there is this sort of like tragedy and it's like, there are life, life is full of these big questions and what if and, and Avon just wants answers to them so he can move on instead of like actually life is the questions. Life is living in those questions, those unanswerable questions. And I even think about like like uh it's why I get worried about um the rigidity of certain ethical systems where it's like, okay, well, let's just figure out our views on all of these things because then we don't have to think about them anymore. And mm-hmm. it's like actually like life is about constantly having to deal with these questions and, and realizing the complexity of those things. So I, I always get, I always get worried about systems where it's like, well, now we don't have to think about this because we have decided this is right. And this is, this is, this is wrong. And, and I feel like that's what Yvonne wants to do. You know, basically he wants to reject his salvation, you know, and, and he's, and he says, cause then I don't ever have to worry about a relationship with God anymore. I will return my ticket to heaven and I can reject salvation and then I can go on and live my life. And it's like, actually life is that, relationship with God. It is that, um, you know, yeah, it, it, it is framed by that. So, so I think, I think that scene points to the, the tragedy of somebody who is by trying to answer the questions once and for all is rejecting the whole idea of the questions, the quest, loving the questions, things like that. Do you think there's been a push in society against inquisitiveness and curiosity? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think there, I think there is that within, um, within American Christianity, mm-hmm. I think there is sort of this sense of like, can we just know what the answer is? And, and, and how often have you felt that impulse where you're like, I just wish I knew what to do. <laughs> it's like, but if you did, you would miss life. Like life is about that struggle is about those questions is about navigating and working that out and negotiating out how you live, how you make choices, things like that. If you truly did answer all the questions once and for all beforehand, then you would just be running the program, mm-hmm. you know. But, but I, right? But I do think that that's. Uh, um, I think there is an exhaustion with complexity uh, that mm-hmm. happened, you know. And I think, uh, and I wonder, you know, the effects of technology on us that we're maybe um, so overrun with. Not that the world is more complex, but we're more aware of the complexities of mm-hmm. it um, because we have we can see too much. <laughs> you know, to a certain degree and that there's an exhaustion with that. And so, and so instead of what we want is like, just figure out what it is. Like, I don't want to have to make choices anymore where it's like, actually that's what life is. Life is, is about that. Right. Cause otherwise life just becomes this stuff that happens to us. And that's, yeah, not, that's not actually living. Yeah. The idea of exhaustion um, when it comes to these ideas of so much happening. And I think we are at a state in society where there is an exhaustion. And I think, this is a turning point. This exhaustion will either lead to a good change or a bad change, in my opinion. I think it will lead to people people either being um, not wanting to think about something and thus control can happen. Or they're, well, we're just going back to Huxley. Like, it's yeah, just, it's yeah, right it's just back. coming it's like, right back to because no, so honestly, that's the yeah. idea, right? Like, you—that's what your soma does—is it means that you don't have to think about this stuff yeah. anymore. It's just instead, I'm going to do this thing, and I'm and functionally be on kind of autopilot with some pleasures kicked in. Yeah, and I think I think Aldous, what a guy. <laughs> he 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 knew he knew. I mean, when he wrote his book, he wrote to uh, George Orwell, and I th- he said, "This is what I think dystopian will be like." You yeah. know. Um, so if I were to, if I were to predict how things were kind of going to happen is the ultimate is all this Huxley's brave new world, but I think it would be, um, Fahrenheit 451, um, George Orwell's 1984 and all this Huxley's like all those combined, like all this Huxley's is the future and George Orwell and Fahrenheit 451 are like 
together mm-hmm. and what happens before that. The route there. The route there. Okay, so, so you got you got you got to give us some hope now because like, okay, like yes, we just, yes, we just we just got real <laughs> real got dark like, there. Right? Yeah, we did, we did. Um, we are gonna give some hope here because um, we are going to bring it back to relationships and how they can be a hope for the future, for us right now, for the present. And I think the more we dive into discussing relationships, being in relationships, trying to figure out relationships. Being affected by them. Being affected by them. I think the more we'll be able to lift ourselves up, you know, um, whether that is denying this idea of the authentic self and living into every aspect of who you are um, at different times, whatever makes you feel comfortable in that moment. Um, Or whether it be just, you know, sitting in silence and thinking like what you said Mm -hmm. when you were in high school. And I think there is this beauty to just acknowledge that no matter what you're thinking, you're not doing it alone. Mm -hmm. So... What do you think about that? I like that. I mean, I, I really, I mean, I think if I, if I was going to give advice to somebody listening to this after we've gone down some of these paths is like, is, is to like go through, go through tomorrow or today. If it's, I mean, we're at night, so I'm thinking tomorrow, go through today with your eyes open and like actively try to be affected by the things that you, that you see, you know, like, like, uh, yeah, I mean, I I think about how often I walk through these halls and I'm, my head is in thinking about something I have to do and not really noticing people. But then every once in a while, I'll walk I'll walk around and I'll just like try my best to be like I'm gonna actually like look at the people around me and like I you know on my best days like I feel love for for people like it's weird because like people I don't know and and I don't mean love like in a romantic way but it's like I fall in love with people around me and it's just like I wish this person knew that they were loved. I wish mm. that like, and I just like, it is this thing that I feel like that's when I have this heightened sense of like being affected by things around me, you know? And, um, and, 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 and you just, you just sort of can't walk up to a person and be like, you know what? You're loved, <laughs> you know, or I love you and I don't even know you. It's like, you can't do that in our society, but it's like, I hope that person feels, and I, and I, maybe I'm open to the fact that they feel like, you know, especially if you walk by somebody and it's just, it's like, wow, that person looks like they might be down about something, you know, and I'm I'm an awkward enough person. Nobody wants to talk to me at that moment. But it's just like like I just sort of want, I I, I have hope that there is that I'm impacted. I'm affected by seeing that person, and I hope that 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 me being impacted and that thing that I'm feeling towards them, that it can transcend sort of the like physical distance between us. Mm-hmm. I I have hope in that because you know I mean it's yeah because those feelings are strong. I have hope in this right here, this conversation. I have hope in this podcast because I feel that this is something we all need. Something, whether it be listening to it or just the ideas that we discuss in it. I think it's something that hasn't, that needs to be talked about. Maybe not hasn't been talked about, but specifically, I think relationships are the best way to think about God, to think about how we interact with God and the way that influences the way we act with others. And I think there is that hope for me that this podcast and what we're doing right here will help someone through something. Mm -hmm. It'll help maybe more than one person. Maybe it'll awaken something in a group of people and they change something and they don't get stuck in a rut, you know? And I think that idea is just going to be wonderful when it does happen, whether I see it or not. Right. Right. And I think it is. I mean, I, I, like I said, I think I'm so moved by what I've heard, you know, and some of them are people that I know very well. It's like, I've never heard, uh, you know, Miranda powers talk for this long about, you know, about these types of things. Or sometimes there are people I've, you know, that work here that I've never met. And I'm like, that's really like, I'm just found them. I found myself emailing people who've been on the show to be like, I just listened to this. That was great. And like, and wanting to be like, I'm so glad you shared that, you know? Yeah. And I'm so glad you are going out of your way and like just talking to these people and be like, wow, I never thought about it this way. Or 
what you said really helped me and so on and so forth. And I think those people felt seen, mm-hmm. not just like me on them, them and me seeing each other, but this platform provides people the ability to be seen for their ideas to be heard for their, for their self to be seen, mm-hmm. you know, not this authentic self, but <laughs> right. a part of them that maybe doesn't get seen. And so it, I think it's great. Well, it may not be capital A, their authentic yeah. self, but an authentic piece of them yes. is, is being seen. Something mm-hmm. very real. Yeah. Yeah. So we're coming to the close of our podcast episode, at least. Um, I am thinking about inviting you back on to talk about many topics, maybe a little bit um, not so dark and gloomy. All this Huxley's Brave New World Dystopian Society. Um, <laughs> we didn't, that, that was not on the sheet. We just kind of no. Went there. It was I just, told you I was going to derail you a little. And that is okay because you know it brings up more ideas. Every conversation you have, if it's not challenging or making you think about something differently, I think it's just mundane. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think there's beauty in the mundane sometimes. Anyway, that's another discussion. Um, but I would just want one more question as kind of like the closer to this episode is kind of what I usually ask every single time. What is one discipline that we can adopt or think about that can help us further our relationships with one another and God? Okay. I'm, I'm going to repeat myself, but it is walk through the day with your eyes open and be affected by things. Be, be like, like, like be open to being affected, being changed by things, being having whatever your mood is, having that be altered by the things that are happening around you. Like, like, like reject whatever today's Soma is, you know, and be like, I'm, I'm going to live today open to what's around me, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's something we have to be conscious of because the world is full of things that, that numb us. And as Huxley pointed out, like we enjoy being numbed, you know, but it also kills us, right? It also kills the part of us that, makes art and experiences art. And I think experiences each other and experiences God. So, you know, like, like, like be, be aware of those things that dull you to that. Um, because over the course of a life, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll become so dull. Like, again, that, that's my big fear. So, so, um, so yeah, so, so be open to that, reject the Soma today and, uh, and be affected by things. Yeah. To sum up everything we said here, reject the Soma be aware and live in the moment once in a while. It's good for you. <laughs> um, I'd just like to thank you again, Professor uh, Mulberry, for joining me. And this is fun. It's so much fun having conversation. This was a little bit of a deeper topic, I know. Um, but if you join me again, I'm sure we'll have even more fun as we go. That's right. So, thank you again.